Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. We're so glad you're here this morning. Dennis, come on. Uh, Dennis, um, this is Dennis Lowry. For those of you that don't know, Dennis is one of our folks, and uh, uh, we're glad he's here. He's from Tennessee. Um, he let us know a few months ago. How long has it been? In July. So not a, a good distance back that his uh, family, he, he's from Tennessee. His family's house was lost in fire, and, and so he's got a testimony this morning he's going to share to let you know how faithful God is. Hello, I really <clears throat> felt in my heart this morning that I should really give this testimony. Just even more in what God is doing right now in the, the Men of Valor group that uh, John and Jonathan are, are in together. Um, for the last year and a half since I've been at Passion, and God has just been taking me through so many things with my family and uh, situations with my older sister on drugs and, and just so many things. And then when my house, our house I grew up in burned last year, I was like, God, what else? <laughs> Uh, what else could you possibly bring on me? And then situations at my job, which Jonathan knows everything about, because <laughs> we work together. It's like one thing after another, and I'm like, God, what are you doing? And uh, I kept wondering, God, why are you doing this? And, and what more are you going to take me through? And, um, and Jonathan, who I started ministering to at work, you know, before God really started really breaking up things in his life, you know, and he took time to sit and talk with me every day, and I thank God for him. And he was like, you know, Dennis, not everything is coming from God. This is coming from the enemy. And he reminded me, and my most weakest and broken, I can't even tell you how weak and drained out I was, that, you know, this is from the enemy, you know, and that God is setting you something up for better. And so when our house burned, you know, mainly not the outside, but the interior was burned up, and we lost pictures and different things. And, I mean, I went home. I was going home that week to do a memorial service for my aunt. I was... Um, my found out that my cousin that both his kidneys had fell and he was in the hospital that week on top of the house burning all in the same week <laughs> so I went home to deal with three big tragedy situations and things and uh and my parents like still owed money on the house their their insurance company was going out of business I have to tell this because uh and we were like right when the time that my parents house burned <laughs> And so I'm like, great, we're either going to, this is going to re be a really bad situation or it's going to be a really good situation. But normally when a house burned, the insurance company and it's total, they take control of it. But they didn't want to deal with it, so they left it to my parents. And so they gave them the house. And um, they not only had enough insurance money to pay the house off, they had enough insurance money to pay all the bills off. All these credit cards they were underneath for years, years now they are debt free. And uh, normally when you go through a contractor, it costs money. To like, um, you have to go through banks. They got denied from the banks for loans and stuff for the house. So I was like, I don't know, God, you're going to have to work this out. And so the contractor that they knew that they've known for years that had been building houses agreed to work out a situation with them with the money that they had left, that in three years the house will be paid off and debt-free. So they, not, they owe nothing. The house, in three years they'll be debt-free, and they're not underneath any bills anymore, thank God. And just what God has been doing in this group that we started, a man of valor that I'm proudly to say that I'm committed to. God has really done a 360 in my life, and I'm ready to go forth. And, and I thank God for Steve and Julie, because every Sunday when I thought about giving up and throwing in a rag and throwing in the towels and 
just calling it quits and I didn't have any more within me. Every Sunday, Steve would say something or remind me of something, you know, keep trying, one, keep, try one more time, give it one more time, sing one more time. And that has just led me up into straight victory. And I'm proud to say that I'm honored to be a part of this church because it is definitely changing people's lives. Radical things have been happening in the past two or three weeks. And uh, in our group that we have started as men of valor and everything, and I'm, I'm honored to be a part of this church. But I just want you to know that God is doing big things. So. Thank you, Dennis. Love you, man. That's awesome. It's always good to remember, amen, and remember what God does. In fact, in Deuteronomy, you can go back and read, Moses tells the children of Israel 18 different times to remember. And Why is it we remember the, the wrong things and forget the right stuff? I, I, we want to remember our sins and forget uh, what God has done, amen? We, we want to remember the bad days and forget the miracles, and I'm thankful that God does great things in us. It ties right into what we're talking about. Uh, we started a new series last week called The Strong Man. Uh, we're going to talk some more about that this morning. It, it's interesting to me, I, I mentioned this last week, the strong man story takes place in Judges. In four chapters, uh, his entire story is revealed to us. It's the story of Samson, the strong man. Uh, his story continues to capture the imagination of Hollywood and Christians alike. He's like a comic book hero. He's, uh, he's got Hulk-like qualities. Not one of these, uh, these modern-day, goofy, cartoon Hulk characters we're talking about the good old day hulk you know those how many of y'all used to watch the hulk on tv a weekly series oh bruce would get all mad and boom he would go y'all remember that see all right the old folks in the house remember it i'm thankful i remember good tv and and uh he that, that that's like the strong man he he was like the hulk minus green skin i mean he uh, he was meek and mild one moment and then the next moment he was seething with uncontrollable anger and unbelievable power he he just was like the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I mean, he would play with your dog one minute and then kill everything with the dog the next minute. I don't know. He just had this, this, this side to him. He was the strong man. And I mentioned to you last week that he, his issue was that he was otherworldly strong, but he was real world weak. And so we talked about, uh, uh, we took this overview, this, this, this bird's eye view from, from far back, a perspective of his life. And, and I said to you that when you pull the strong man's life down to the bottom, bottom line, basically what we discover is that the strong man was used by God, but he was never changed by God. He, he was good with outward demonstrations, but he would never allow God to work any inner transformation. That, that the Spirit of God that operated through him was never allowed to operate on him. And I wonder how many of us are more than willing to allow God to work, to work through us, but we won't let God work in us. And we say, God, I want to do great things, but we'll never let God do great things in, in, in us and change us. And I'm not really interested anymore about whether you're you being used by God my real question and concern for, is, for you is, are you being changed by God? Are you different now than when he first started using you? Have your appetites changed? Have your lusts changed? Has where you go changed? Who you hang out with? Has it changed? Because if none of that's changed, then God may be using you. But that's not the key question. The question is, is God changing you? And I said that the second thing was that if you boil his life down, we discover that the strong man loved the strong man. 
Samson's problem was is that he loved himself more than anybody else. In fact, the Bible declared that the strong man was set up to be a delivered to the entire nation, but instead he used the anointing, the gift of God in him, only to fulfill his own desires, only to benefit himself, only to get his own pleasures taken care of. And what I said to you is that God has anointed you, but he's not anointing you just for you. He's anointing you so that you can help somebody else. Is there anybody in your life that is benefiting because God is using you. I'm just preaching. I'm just, I'm just sharing. Yeah, the strong man. Well, what I want to do is I want to go forward now and begin to look at some very specific moments in the account of Samson that speak to our lives. And this morning what I want to deal with is this concept of the demands of deliverance. And so what I want you to do is I want you to join me in the very first account of Samson's life. It's the birth announcement. You can find it in Judges chapter 13 beginning in verse 1. And I'm going to read to you the first five verses and this is the account of the family of Samson discovering that they're having a baby. So listen carefully. Judges chapter 13 beginning in verse 1. And then the people of Israel were back at it again. Just kind of Note that. You need to remember that little phrase right there. The people of Israel were back at it again, doing what was evil in God's sight. So God put them under the domination of the Philistines for 40 years. At that time, there was a man named Manoah from Zorah, from the tribe of Dan. His wife was barren and childless. The angel of God appeared to her and told her, I know that you are barren and childless. But you're going to become pregnant and bear a son. But take much care. You ought to remember that little phrase there too. But take much care. Drink no wine or beer. Eat nothing ritually unclean. You are in fact pregnant right now. Carrying a son. No razor will touch his head. The boy will be God's Nazarite from the moment of his birth. He will launch the deliverance from the Philistine oppression. Three quick thoughts, and then I'll get out of your way. Just some thoughts about this account of Samson's life. It's, it gla- it's glaring to me. I, I never read it quite like this, that, that when you read about the environment, the, 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 the opening stanza of Ju- Judges chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, that opening stanza screams to me about me. And, well, and of course you. It screams to me about the condition we find ourselves in because I want you to notice that in Judges chapter 13 verse 1 it says this and then the people of Israel were back at it again and so the first lesson that I think the strong man wants to teach us today is this back away from the back ats oh, y'all, y'all looking at me weird I just went over your head I, I, it just doesn't make any sense I'm gonna explain. back away from the back ats the, the Notice that, that the children of Israel were back at evil. God has set them free. God has sent them into the promised land. They're supposed to be a delivered group of people. And now the Bible says, and the children of Israel were back at it again. I wonder how many of us this morning are back at something that we should have at our back. Y'all didn't get that. I'm going to say to you. I wonder how many of us are back at something that we should have at our back. Uh, we continue to fall into our history and rather than look back at our history, we we go back to the, the, the very things that bring us back to bondage and slavery. 
Some of you have known Jesus for decades and, and even to this very day you continue to go back at things that God was trying to set you free from 10 years ago. You find yourself back at things that God is saying, why are you even dealing with that anymore? You were supposed to walk away from that thing long ago. We are called to, we are called to establish distance in our lives from the things that God has set us free from. See, here's, here, you, you would think, when, when, see, I know some of your stories. I don't know all of your stories, but, 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 but some of you, I, I just kind of marvel because I, I think from all that God has set you free from, you would think by now you would be willing to walk away from all those things and never go back to them again, but you continue to go back at those things and you discover that they continue to bring you back to bondage and back to slavery and back to depression and back. What are you back at? that God said you should back away from? What are you in in your life that God is wanting to establish distance to? There are some things in your life that you were supposed to walk away from and never visit those things again. There are some things in your life that there are supposed to be great distance and you continue to stay so close to. In fact, uh, you can go into the Old Testament and read the account. The children of Israel are in bondage to the Egyptians and God sets them free and they come into the promised land and a couple of the tribes decide to stay right at the getting in point. They, they don't go deep into the promised land. They stay right on the border. And what you discover as you read through the history of the children of Israel, those two tribes begin to intermarry with their enemies. Imagine that. They stay too close to the getting inside. Or maybe it's too close to the getting outside. I don't know which side it is. I just know they stayed too close. They kept going back at. Some of you are way too close to the things that God set you free from. You need to allow him to establish some distance. Doesn't it, it doesn't seem to matter what promotion you get. It doesn't matter seem to matter what raise you get. It doesn't matter to seem to matter what change you establish in your life. You end up back at the same place that you were at before. And then you wonder, well, why am I in bondage? Why am I not experiencing freedom? See, I, I believe it's time to deal with the back so that you can deal with the forward. Uh, y'all, y'all not old enough, some of y'all. But uh, was it meow mix that they did the chow, the chow, the cats did the chow chow uh, the the chow chow? They would go one step forward and two steps back. My young folk don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Let me age, let me date myself right now. They, they go one step forward and two step back. Some of you can't get forward because you keep going back at things. We look at you and there ought to be progress in your life and we'll watch you take a huge step forward and then watch you turn right around and go back at depression and right back to sickness and right back at porn and right back at rebellion and right back at bad decisions and right back. It doesn't seem to matter what you change. New spouse, but you're back at. New job, but you're back at. New house, but you're back at. New car, oh, if I could just get a new car, it would fix everything. You take a huge step forward and then you're back at. You keep backing up. What are you back at? When you examine your life, what is it that God has set you free from that you continue to go back at again? Is it an attitude? It, it, it is, is it an addiction? Is it an attraction? I just came to declare to you that now that you're out, it's time to stay out. Y'all didn't get that. I just want to declare over you that when God breaks the power of that thing in your life, you don't get to go back and visit that thing again. Leave it alone. Don't take any souvenirs. Don't make any vacation plans back at that thing. You just keep moving. Get all the distance between. Don't try to see how close you can stay. When he's broken it off, you walk away and never look back. Some of you back out. 
they continue to go back at. The, se the second thing I notice is this. When you read the account of the strong man, what you discover is that the strong man's mother was the least likely to be chosen, to birth deliverance. I, I, it just stands out to me. It's interesting to me that when you read the account of Samson, we know absolutely nothing about the mom. We know the dad's name. We know his hometown. We know the people that he's born from. But we know absolutely nothing about his mom except for the fact that she was barren. Which means in that day, in that connotation, in that context, she was an outcast. She was less than. She was a reject because if you couldn't have a baby in that day, then you, you weren't chosen. You weren't special. You were a nobody. And now all of a sudden, this least likely shows up and God chooses this least likely to birth deliverance. And so I have to ask you a question this morning. Are you the least likely or are you the likely least? Uh, let me help you out. See, some of you have disqualified, disqualified yourself from being a carrier of the supernatural because you, are, you believe in your own spirit, in your own, in your own makeup that you are the least likely. You have been barren. You have been dry. You have been hurt. You have been divorced. You have been broken. You have been passed over. You've been rejected. You've been looked over. You were the last one chosen for the team. But I came to declare to somebody this morning that you are not the least likely. You are the likely least because God has this tendency to walk into situations and pick the people that nobody else would pick thank the Lord see, see in our own mind what we do is we elevate people man that person right there if I was God I would pick them because they they've got talent oozing out of them I mean look at them they stand head and shoulders some of you that know the Old Testament will know that reference right there better than others they stand head and shoulders they stand out in the crowd they've got talents and abilities everything they touch seems to go perfectly their life seems to be in order man God I would use them in fact it wouldn't surprise me that you use them because look at them but God has this tendency to pick people that are unlikely because he recognizes that when he uses people that are unlikely, they can't take credit. I'm preaching right now. I'm just sharing my testimony. Yeah, that's what I'm really doing. I'm y'all don't know it, but right, y'all just read between the lines right here. He uses the least likely, the the, the 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 least likely are in fact the likely least because he has this tendency to pick people that nobody would think could stand up and declare the word of the Lord. He picks people to change workplaces that nobody else would pick. You didn't get the promotion. They didn't make you the boss. I've been passed over time and time again. But let me just tell you this morning that if you think you're the least likely, the reality is is that God will probably call your name because he recognizes that if you were the most likely when it happened when the supernatural was birthed out of your life when deliverance came out of your life you would stand up and say I did that and nobody would have a problem with that understanding because they think you're the best anyway but when you're not the best when you're barren and broken and you're the last to be picked and nobody expects it and nobody suspects it, then when God operates in your life and your life changes the environment of your workplace and you walk into a school and you bring revival into that school and you walk into your neighborhood and things begin to change because you've arrived on the scene and they look at you and go, we would have never picked them. You go, that's right. It wasn't me anyway. It was God. It's God that did this. The supernatural was birthed. I may be barren. I may be broken. I may be outcast. I may be a reject. I may be dry, but I am the likely least. God will pick me. I'm so glad 
that God picks people like that. Mm, thank you, Jesus, that the unknown to man doesn't equate to the unknown to God. You go read the account of the entire Bible, and basically it is one big long account of people that nobody would have chosen. The one that they said they would have chosen, Saul, messed it up. But shepherd boys and nobodies and forgotten sons on the backside of a desert and fishermen, tax collectors. Nobody expects the tax collector to be used by God. Doctors, lawyers. Nobody expects, but he uses those kind of people. Why are you disqualifying yourself when God can qualify you? The, the, the last thing I'll share with you this morning is this one. It's where I want to kind of camp for just a few moments. I need you to understand today that out of the story of the strong man, we discover this, that deliverance always comes with demands. Samson's mother receives a mandate from God. I read it to you and told you to remember it. The angel of the Lord is saying, you are in fact, right now, you are pregnant. Then he, he makes this statement. You've got to catch this statement. He says, take much care. You've got this gift inside of you, mama, and, and you're going to give birth to this baby, but you've got to take much care care you've got to it's your there's a god gift on the inside of you there is a god thing on the inside of you god wants to birth deliverance out of you but mama you've got to take much care oh this is this is where we are see see uh it's our responsibility to handle the gift that god places within us with care don't take the gift for granted don't squander the gift don't mismanage the gift don't pollute the gift. Don't just ponder your gift. Protect the gift of God that is inside of you. Some of us examine our gift. Some of us think about our gift. Some of us parade our gift. But most of us never protect our gift. We prostitute our gift. We pollute our gift. But we never take the time to protect what God is doing on the inside of us. And then we lose the gift. Take much care. The angel of the Lord tells the strong man's mom, you are going to carry deliverance to full term. You are going to give birth to deliverance. However, in order for this deliverance to come to pass, you have to meet the demands of deliverance. We want deliverance with no demands. Oh, this is going, I'm getting ready to sound old-fashioned. And I'm all right with it. Just hang with me. We want deliverance, but we don't want any of the details. What we want to do is we want to live the way we want to live and then show up on church on Sunday and say, God, set me free from the results and the fruits of my choices. I didn't live up to any demands, but now I'm expecting you to come and bring deliverance into my life and produce freedom in my life and produce breakthrough in my life, but I don't like the demands. But demands are always part of deliverance. Listen to me. I want you to catch this. The demands that were placed on the strong man's mom was passed down to the strong man. Oh, y'all got it. 
the demands that were placed on the strong man's mom. Mom, you're going to give birth to this baby, but in order for him to accomplish everything that he's supposed to accomplish, then in fact what you have to do is you can't drink any beer and you can't drink any wine and you can't drink any richly unclean food. You've got to live up to some demands and you will in fact pass this Nazarite vow right through you into your little boy and the vow that he will live under all of his life will start in you. Okay? We want the strength of our forefathers. Oh, this is tight. We want the strength of our forefathers. We want to talk about the miracles that our fathers saw. We want to talk about the revival that they experienced. We want to talk about the breakthroughs and the supernatural manifestations of God and the power that operated in them. We want the strength of our forefathers without living up to the sanctification of that generation. Sanctification is a big fancy word. It means being separate. Well, that just flew right back at me. We expect to be able to live our life any way we want to live it and show up in here on Sunday and experience everything our forefathers experienced, never recognizing that unless you meet the demands, you cannot experience deliverance. So what happens is we never truly taste freedom because we never truly embrace the conditions. The strong man's mother was given this charge. She was given this challenge. Drink no wine or beer. Eat nothing richly unclean. You are in fact pregnant right now carrying a son. No razor will touch his head. The boy will be, a God's, will be God's Nazarite from the moment of his birth. In other words, let me pull it really down for you right here, right now. In other words, the strong man's strength was going to be determined by the strong man's separation. His clout was going to be established by his character. His power, we think his power was in his hair. Wrong. His power was established by his purity. Do I even need to decipher this truth down to where we're living today? I think I probably should. Because I got some time to fill. Perhaps our issue is this. Perhaps we have no strength because we are unwilling to embrace the come out from among them and be ye separate demands of deliverance. I said it right out in front of God and everybody. We don't look any different. We don't act any different. We don't talk any different. We don't have a better attitude than our co-workers. We don't stay married longer than any of them do. We watch the same things they watch. We go where they go. We do the things they do. Then when they need spiritual answers, we wonder why don't we have any power to bring an answer because our, separa- our lack of separation, our lack of willingness to come out and be separate, we have nothing left. We have no supernatural power. Not because God hasn't birthed deliverance in us, but we haven't met the demands of deliverance, so we have nothing to operate offer them other than a t-shirt and a bumper sticker perhaps our lack of be ye not conformed to this world character curbs our clout because the truth is is that we don't work any harder than them we cheat our office hours just like they cheat our office at their office hours we cheat on our taxes just like they cheat on their tax I'm preaching right now we won't do what we've been called to do and then we wonder we don't have any higher standard of character than they do and then we wonder why we don't have any power We use the same language they Oh, my word. I sound old-fashioned. 
It's all right. Maybe we ought to go back to some old-fashioned stuff. Maybe we would discover there's power in purity. See, it's ironic to me that what happens is this. Our power matches our purity, and most of us don't have any power because we don't. I want you to notice that Samson's mother did not get to negotiate the demands. Oh, God, you're finally going to bless me with a baby. But some of these demands, God, I don't, I don't know if I like these. I'm not really comfortable. I'll willingly I make me a I, birth deliverance through me, God. I'm for it. But, hey, wait a minute. We need to talk. I got some places I really like to go. I got some things I really like to do. And we just, I will I, use me. Here I am, God, send me. But we need to negotiate just a little bit first. We need to talk about some of these details. And, and, and if it's all right with you, God, I, I don't know if I want to do that one. I'll do all the other ones. But, in fact, I am so committed to what I don't like, I'll go to a church where they'll only preach the things I like. We're willing to carry the baby. We just don't want to with the demands I came to tell you this morning that there are two options when God makes demands on your life only two one is to accept it and the second is to decline there is no room for negotiations you cannot barter with God you are never going to argue God out of what he demands you are never going to be able to work it out and say God I'll still have the baby but I'm not going to no it won't happen I'm telling you there are always demands established when you want to have deliverance there is always there will always there will always be demands the demands will not decrease the demands will not be altered because God never alters the robe of righteousness to fit the man he changes the man to fit the robe. We want to make God a tailor. And God doesn't tailor stuff to satisfy us. Oh, man. I, I've taught you a truth. I, I'm just going to reestablish the truth. Like always begets like. That's why if you plant an apple tree, you are never going to walk out into your front yard to your apple tree and harvest oranges. Never going to happen. A bird is never going to give birth to a dog. Like begets like. Right? Y'all believe that? Okay. Samson's mother, listen to me now, Samson's mother had to live by the Nazarite vow, like produces, so that she could give birth to a Nazarite. It's not enough to bring Jesus into your lifestyle and refuse Him to allow Him to change that lifestyle. In other words, the fruit of your life will simply be a reflection of the seed of your life. Some of you live with no separation. Some of you live with no character. Some of you have no purity established in your life. And then you, you are freaked out because you can't seem to birth any deliverance. And if you're not living a lifestyle of deliverance, you will never give birth to life. To to deliverance. If you are not living a lifestyle of deliverance, you will never give birth to deliverance. <laughs> we don't even, we don't put 
it on our signs anymore. I understand it. I get it. I, I recognize it. We're trying to help people to understand who we are. So we don't even put it on our sign anymore, Pentecostal holiness. But maybe it would do us good to go back and recognize that God has called us to be holy. That holiness never goes out of style. In fact, it has nothing to do with style. It has to do with your heart. It will impact your style, but it has nothing to do with style. Maybe we ought to go back and talk about holiness, that you can't go hang out where you used to hang out because once God separates you, if you go back at, then you end up back at. Paul dealt with this in the New Testament. He was dealing with these folks in Galatia. It wasn't the first time he dealt with it. He had talked to them. In fact, I'm going to read to you what he says to him, And he says right in here, I've talked to you about this before. So this isn't just a story that, that starts in, in the Old Testament and doesn't have any bearing on us now. It's carried over into the New Testament that most of us are not willing to meet the demands of deliverance. Therefore, we never experience or give birth to deliverance. So this is what Paul says. Listen to this very carefully. This is powerful. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 23, I'm just going to read them. They're not even going to be on the screen because I want you to listen carefully. Listen to what he says. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Pause. In other words, if he was preaching this message right now, he would say, it is obvious what kind of life you get when you refuse to meet the demands. Okay, just want to throw that in there. Here's what happens. Here, he lists it for us. He says, if you want your way all the, your own way all the time, you don't meet the demands, here's what happens. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. If I could just win the lottery. That wasn't in there. That was free. Trinket gods. Magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I have warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. You ought to go back and read that list for yourself and see if you might not find yourself in that because I found myself in there. And what I recognize is that anytime I'm not willing to live up to demands, this is the fruit of your life. There's no escaping it. There's no negotiating it. It will always be that way because when you don't meet the demands, Paul says this is what is going to happen to your life. But the good news is he goes on and he says this. He says, but what happens when we live God's way? When we meet the demands? He brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and peoples. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our own way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. My word. Where are you in that mix? What is the fruit of your life? 
Where are you living right now? If you were in the first list, it simply means this. You haven't been willing to live up to the convictions, the demands, the details of deliverance that God is placing on you. If you find yourself in the second list, then what it must mean is that you have said, God, whatever you demand, I may not be comfortable with it. I may not have chosen it. I don't necessarily like it. But if you tell me that I'm supposed to live like this and separate myself, then God, I will do it. Because at that moment, all these things will be produced in my life. If you desire deliverance, then you must embrace and live up to the demands of deliverance. Why? Because it is living up to our vow that leads us to victory. There's a book that you ought to read. It's a great book, great author. His name is Eugene Peterson. The name of the book is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That is a great title. If there was ever the perfect uh, definition of a disciple, that's it. A long obedience in the same direction. He makes some statements in here that I think are absolutely profound that I want to leave you with this morning. He says this. He says, it is not difficult in our world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. He goes on and he says this. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ. But there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again. But the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. We don't like the demands. In our kind of culture, anything, any, even news about God can be sold if it is packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. There is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier Christians called holiness. We want the power that holiness people experienced without living up to the convictions that the holiness people lived up to. I wonder why we have no power. I wonder why you can't make it from Sunday to Sunday and you feel like your life's about to fall apart. I wonder why you're back at depression. I wonder why you're back at brokenness. I wonder why you're back at barrenness. I wonder why you're back at dis destruction. I wonder why you're back at addiction. I wonder why you're back at the porn. Why are you back at the rebellion? Why are you back at the fights? Why? Why? Maybe it's because you have failed to live up to the demands of deliverance. God desires to birth deliverance through you. God wants to birth freedom in you. God wants to set you free once and for all in fact my Bible says that whom the Son sets free is free indeed but you cannot live in that freedom if you are not willing to live up to the demands that produces that freedom and so my questions for you this morning are very simple what are you back at what was it that God told you to stop that you're back at what was it that God said get away from that you're back at? Let me ask it like this. Who did God say to get away from that you're back at? Where did he say to stay away from that you can't seem to stay? What are you back at? My second question is, more of a statement, I guess, than a question. 
Maybe you feel like the least. Maybe you feel like you're the last one chosen. Maybe you feel the least like you're the least likely. I just came to encourage you this morning that if you'll get rid of the back ads, you are the perfect candidate. In fact, you're the most likely candidate that God will use to produce freedom and deliverance in the life, in your life and in the lives of your children and in the lives of your coworkers and in the lives of your classmates and in the life of your community because he's looking for people that won't take the credit. So let me say it and ask you this question. What are the demands that God has placed on your life for deliverance? I've already preached this message. I preached it three weeks ago. I got two weeks ago about the door. There are always keys that open certain doors. What are the keys in your life that God has told you that you've got to use to, to get into what he's got? There are demands. I'm not asking you to live up to my convictions. The Bible clearly states that every, every man ought to, to work out his own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, there are things in your life that God don't convict you about that he's convicted me about. And as long as I live up to the standard of the conviction that he's placed in my life that I'm where I need to be but that is not a license to, 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 to negotiate demands I don't want you to live up to the demands that God's placed on me I don't want you to live your life not being able to wear shorts I don't wear shorts I don't want you not to be able to go to the movies I want you to go to the right movies I don't go to the movies I'm not telling you that to brag on myself I'm telling you the conviction that God's placed in my life what are the demands he's placed on your life? What are the details of deliverance that he has revealed to you? God told some of you decades ago to stop doing stuff and you're back at it and then there's no deliverance in your life and you find yourself in bondage again and you don't seem to know why. My challenge to you this morning is simple. You've got to come back to the place where you're willing to embrace the demands. When God says, stop, I'm so desperate for freedom, and I'm so desperate for breakthrough, and I'm so desperate for deliverance, not only in my life, but in the lives of my children, and in my friends, and in my church folks, that I will stop. I won't negotiate. I won't see how close I can stay to the edge and try to live there and just hope I don't teeter back over every once in a while. No, I will establish distance and I will quit doing everything he said for me to not to do because I want to birth deliverance in my life. I want you to stand with me this morning. By the way, if anybody has ever asked you if you ever sat in a church where they did holiness preaching, you just did. We don't hear it much anymore. See, I'm convinced of this, and then, and then we're going to respond here. Some of you are back at some stuff. I encourage you that maybe the thing we need to be back at is back at an altar. Don't get that much more in church either. Maybe we need to spend some time back at the altar saying to God, not God, let's negotiate and let me talk you out of the demands. No, maybe we need to get back at the altar where we spend some time and say, God, whatever you're calling me to, I'll, I'll live up to that. Whatever you've asked me to give up, I'll give it up. I will accept. I've done this before. I've got to do it again right here. I will look at you and go, 
Yes, sir. No room for negotiations. That's how desperate I am to be free. That means if the freedom that I need is financial freedom, then yes, sir, I tithe. I need, I need godly relationships in my life, then yes, sir, I won't date a non-believer. I, I need freedom from sin in my life, then yes, sir, your word is a lamp unto my feet. I hide it in my heart so that I will not sin against God. Therefore, what I will do is I will, I will saturate my life every day in your word. I'll stop spending every hour, every moment of my life on Facebook and I'll get back in the book because I recognize that is the demand that is required for me to birth deliverance. Preaching! We don't experience deliverance anymore. Because we don't like the demands. Father, this morning I pray that you would bring back convictions. I'm not asking you to bring back the convictions of my life for my people. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you, God, to clearly and recognizably communicate the convictions and the demands to each person under the sound of my voice so that they will know, just like the strong man's mom knew, they will know clearly and succinctly what is off limits, what has to be separated from, who they need to cut off, what, what steps they need to take in their life. God, I pray that you would communicate clearly the demands. And God, we say together, we're desperate. We're desperate for the strength of a previous generation. We're desperate for a breakthrough. We're desperate for revivals. We're desperate for the supernatural. We're desperate for freedom. We're desperate for deliverance. God, help us, help us, help us to embrace demands. I ask you to do these things.